Hi, you're listening to the TL Podcast. My name is Thomas Lehuang, and I am interviewing someone who seems ordinary, but who is achieving extraordinary things. That is the quest of this interview. Well, I'm here with Mark Kentwell. Um, how are you doing, Mark? I'm extremely well. Thank you very much for driving down from Newcastle. It's been I didn't drive, I just sat in the back seat. <laughs> so what is it? You got yourself chauffeured? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got a local company that I use. I started using them originally just for airport transfers, but right. because I do a fair bit of business outside of Newcastle as well and engage with other uh, people in entrepreneur or prop tech industries or business, that trip up and down the freeway, like, it's, it, it might be quite straight, it might be quite easy, but you just can't engage as much on your phone calls and it's quite unsafe looking at your phone and trying to drive as well. So I yes. find you're sort of giving part of your attention to each and therefore you're not getting a whole result. So I, I subscribe to my own theories and uh, one of those is, that you know, I suppose dollar productive time. Yes. And the, the value is greater than the cost of being, you know, present and engaged and comfortable and making really good conversations. I can, have, I can have the iPad Pro open, I can be on the phone, and then I'm supporting a local business as well, which yes. is great people, and I've ended up doing five or six real estate transactions through my driving company because yep. I've been using them for 16 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I noticed, you know, I, listen, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you was not mainly because you're in the top 100 or because you've gone from uh, 39 or to uh, 26 this year. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the boundless energy that you have and mm-hmm. also looking at you you seem to be a man who's involved into a lot of things mm-hmm. and so why don't we just talk about maybe leadership and what you do yeah sure. so you said that you're an first an entrepreneur right yeah yeah so entrepreneur first definitely and i suppose to use seth Godin's definition recently in business he describes two types of people i love it when people say two types of people because like, there's a million types of people yeah, but that's correct. in business he categorizes two ways seth godin so there's freelancers and there's entrepreneurs and when i first hear about freelancer it can come up quite negatively like you know you imagine an out-of-work journalist you know male with a, a unshaven you know sitting in his apartment there with pizza on the floor and can't get any work but freelancers actually is more to do with how you apply your craft to your industry. So a freelancer is a brain surgeon, for example. Like only they can do their particular craft the way they do it. And the way a freelancer gets ahead is by getting better clients. So Seth Godin himself is a freelancer. So he's a public speaker and he gets a big speech and or he's, he's, a, he's an author and he's the one writing it. Only he can write that. He can have people helping him, but they can't ghostwrite it. They need to be his ideas. And then his client is the publisher. So the publisher gets a bigger bigger book deal, he gets more out of it. And then eventually the way that you deploy your capital or income that you make from being a freelancer provides you with lifestyle and you can choose what you want to freelance within. Entrepreneurs, on the other hand, they find a gap in the market or, and that gap might be for an existing service that needs to be, you know, improved. It might be about optimizing something. It might be something completely new that you've got to get there first with. Find the gap um, they get involved in it, they create a solution, either themselves or with a team, and then as soon as that solution is created or the optimised version is created, they're moving on to another part of that uh, ecosystem or they're moving on completely. And that's me, 100% me. So entrepreneur first have been since I can remember, like since you know before I was able to really legally sell anything, I was trading motorbikes, you know, I always had some kind of um, thing that I was trying to pursue. And the, and the playground is business for entrepreneurs. And I've chosen services over widgets. So I'm not selling product because I, I like things that are less easy to commoditize. And even if I'm involved in a product-based business, it's usually a software product or a, some sort of solution that right. still has a, an exponential edge to it. You're not going to buy them off the shelf and there's only one way they come, there's only one way they deliver and there's only one lifespan that they've got. And, and within that, Real estate happens to be the vehicle that we're driving at the moment as the main one, but that's a whole property services sector. It's not just real estate. I'm involved in development. I'm involved in unit trusts. I'm involved in prop tech and industry thought leadership and buyer's agency and business engines that run other businesses. So through that craft of being a real estate agent and developing, I've been using that as a testing ground the whole time. Test and measure with consumers, test and measure with my clients that are agents within the practice, 
coaching and training them, writing training manuals, and then really trying to systemize that business and properly document it. As you would imagine, you buy a McDonald's franchise or a or a uh, Subway franchise, right. but not not just so we can franchise, but just so we can have a scalable model that can continue to deliver better results as it goes on, right. not to get diluted as the founder gets out and there's other people stepping in and they're not getting the same service delivery. My, I, I, I'm tired. Just listen. You're tired. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have the time to do other things? I mean, it, I'm thinking selling and listing a house, is, it, that's already something. Then running a team, and you're running two teams, is it? Yeah, we've got lots of teams. So like, I suppose to answer that question around the time, because I've documented the business really well and my IP has flowed throughout the whole business, not just stuck in my head so that I can stay the boss and I can have the biggest accolades. Like my residential business, for example, I, I think in the last 12 months it would have done, like, as in my personal team, would have done a bit over 3 mil in, in GCI. Whereas my personal involvement in those 3 mil GCI deals is getting more to strategic level with the client. So right from the start, when we're sitting down with the client, I'm not at every appraisal. I go to the ones where they're going to sign up. Uh, and I'm not at every appraisal. I'm at the ones where it's high competition or high dollar. And then my team will do other parts. And, and you know, I, I just take lesser percentages of fees depending on how it's set up. And with the client, like most of the time, I'm, I'm in that meeting. And as soon as like we've sort of passed that point where they want to go with us, because the repeat result or referral has already got us quite warmed up, I give my strategic input and I explain that these are the guys that are doing opens, these are the guys that are doing private inspections. When the negotiations get to a certain point, they'll probably run with it based on relationship, but when there's strategic intervention required or at a fork in the road about selling prior to auction, selling prior to going to market, how to set your reserve price or you know getting a buyer sort of up that's sort of sitting around, I'll be involved, but it's, it's on a on a when needed basis and by having that umbrella oversight they know they've got the business owner's attention the founder's attention the ip of me the team are checking in with me all day long but it's checking in a way that we've described within the team that's efficient so again i'm only getting notified about stuff i need to get notified okay. about and the clients are happy with that so you know i passed a million gci in my third year i think it was third or fourth year in real estate and i was like early to mid-20s and it was probably the year, two years after that, I got to about one and a half. And I was just working bananas hours, like crazy hours. Yep. But by then I'd started documenting what I was doing and I could start offloading part of the role. And I look now at the amount of hours I do compared to the value that we bring. And it's double the GCI, it's about quarter of the hours. So it allows me time for business improvement and scalable exercises and, and doing the stuff that makes my heart sing. Because if I'm going to stay in that, it doesn't feel as much like work. And my whole day from sort of like when I wake up in the early fours, like 4.15, and before I go to bed, which is usually about 11.30, 11.45 p.m., like I'm, I'm generally staying in activities that I'm good at, which I like, or that makes my heart sing, which is kind of like that higher purpose, that flow. And if I'm not in those areas, then like I start to feel that it's a tug on me, it's a weight on me, and I quickly delegate it away because I know the world's not going to get a better outcome from me and the client's not going to get a better outcome That's from amazing. that either. That's amazing. Is it correct you started in 2005? Yeah, yeah. So in a little bit more than 15 years, you just build this kind of empire? That's crazy. I mean, is it because you don't sleep at all? <laughs> yeah, it's been <laughs> um, I'm probably sleeping a lot less now because I'm, I'm just in rhythm with food and diet and exercise. But when we got into real estate, I was my hobby at the time was managing vans and events. And it wasn't my paid work. My, I got a little bit of money for it, but my main work was I was in the mines. Right. I was doing engineering and, and trades. I was dual trades and I had two engineering diplomas and I had investment properties and shares. And I was pretty, you know, I'm pretty naturally hyper energetically wise, but I was very bored with my work. I was doing a lot of extra stuff whilst I was at work because the work was like a break fix model. I was doing inspections to see if things were going to break, bit of fault finding. But if things weren't breaking, you were sort of labouring or you had a bit of downtime. And I was writing music and coming up with plans to get more um, people to events and just thinking about what I was going to do next. And, you know, at 22, I decided to permanently retire from mining, <laughs> which, is, which is really funny because I was a permanent employee. I was making really good money at that age, four days on, three days off. But the extra time off had allowed me not only time to go and be a young person, but... To, to figure out where I would go next. And when I got into real estate, I, I must admit, 
0405, like the market had just pulled back in, in New South Wales. It had been a boom off the back of a recession and the government had put a lot of stimulus into the market. A lot of agents were complaining about the market, whereas I thought it was so much easier than mining. I thought it was so much easier than getting people to an event where the ticket price was $15 and, you know, I had to get them there earlier so that the band could be covered by the, the beer and food sales. I had that world in my mind. Wow. And, you know, we were paying for our own advertising and stuff like that in, uh, in band and event management. So I look at it now, I got into real estate and, you know, the average fees were probably eight or $9,000 at the time and, you know, the bigger ones were fifteen. And I was just like, let me add it. You know, I didn't care about the ratios. You know, I was, I was going for 20 appraisals and signing one. But <laughs> it was sort of, I didn't have a brand. I didn't have marking behind me. I had a goatee. I had an earring. I, I had a pinstripe suit that didn't fit. Uh, my, my dad had done some commercial industrial. But I, I just wanted to find a way, a better way. But I was applying a lot of that stuff with the band and event management. And the first thing I brought in was databasing. Like, there, there were software systems out there then. There were CRMs. But... There was very little use of it going on. I paid a coach that was actually in a competing firm and he wasn't really a real estate coach. He was just someone who had embraced coaching. And I must have had three or four coaches in the first six months and some of them stayed on and some of them I got to the point where I had enough from them. So, uh, so, so why, why three or four? I mean, some, some people don't even see a value in a coach. Yeah. So some, a few, yeah. have one. Three, four, why is that? Uh, I... You know, like you look at Tim Ferriss and people like that, they're into life hacking. I suppose I was like that for business. So I was like, I had belief already that there was a better way. I studied very quickly the top 20 or so agents in Australia, which were hard to get hold of that info then. There was no REB ranking then. You know, there was no real estate.com domain ranking. So getting hold of the top agents, well, there was a lot of asking around. But, you know, we sort of figured out around about the top 20 agents. One of the things I realised was, they were nearly all doing auction as their main method of sale, if not their only method of sale, no matter where they were, whether they were in lifestyle markets, whether they were in inner city markets, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane even. And, and I'm like, okay, well, why is it in Newcastle less than 1% of the transactions are auction? So I went about looking at things from a system level. I noticed that the buyer service that was going on, like there were still agencies using palm cards, like handwritten cards, yeah, yeah. which was a Genman thing. You know, so, and like Gemman Gemman had a system and and it worked. I I think it got overtaken more by the McGrath kind of mindset at the time where marketing was more important and and driving people and getting emotion. But either way, there were systems out there, Robert Bevan, Gemman, Lee Woodward, and uh, John McGrath, Pete Gilchrist. They were kind of the main influencers in the market at the time. But there was very little databasing going on. There's no categories. Like most agencies, they had Outlook, they had Excel spreadsheet. If they had a CRM, it was like a mailing list of people that weren't opening it. And uh, so I just brought in some systems very early. And the coaching side was about making sure that I was investing my time and energy into the right areas. Because, like, I had never sold a house before when we started our business. I was doing industrial tilt slab concrete sheds. I was doing block splits and I was doing a little bit of um, residential. So coaching helped with that. So you started in in, uh, Newcastle itself? Yeah, we picked Newcastle. Like, I was from Lake Macquarie growing up. I, I've lived in a lot of homes, including, you know, Perth and the Hills District down here. My family had, had lived here for a while. I was right. born out in Holbrook, which is in the bush. But um, I thought Newcastle was good. I could see that it was a town that was ready for reinvention. I just had a knowing sense. You know, you talk about thinking, feeling, knowing. I had that knowing sense that Newcastle was the right place to be. So we got as close to the inner city as we could. 52 square metre office in a new building that hadn't all sold out. And um, it was my dad and, and myself and a part-time receptionist. I was 50% of the company. My dad and mum were the other 50%. I had sold one of my investment properties. They remortgaged the house. He had been doing industrial for a little while, sort of fallen into that, coming off the back of development world and oil industry that he was in. And uh, I, I just liked the idea that I, I thought you could service just about anywhere from Newcastle in that broader region. Right. Whereas if we went out in the suburbs, we we're kind of going to be known as the suburbs. Right. And then you open the second show? Mm. So we ended up expanding to open a Lake Macquarie office as well. I, I sort of partnered up with someone that I had an engagement in very early in my career. And uh, that went pretty well for a while, but it was one of those things where I, I, I found that I was I was doing a lot of running back out to the, to the office, which was at Spears Point at the time. I thought I'd corner the western side and the eastern side of the lake by going at the top of the lake where they both meet, whereas we lacked identity. We weren't very well known in the eastern side because we were out of the way. And on the western side, they still service us from the eastern side. Right. So 
Uh, I didn't have a big promotion budget for that office and my partner who I was working with put in good effort but was more of a, I suppose, technician than an entrepreneur or someone that wanted to really brand heavily and was very good at his craft. And, and we had a great relationship and, a, and it went for a period of time. And, and I think we got to a stage where it, it was clear that, that that guy had come from the western side of the lake and that's where his passion was. And so he went back there and was fine with part of ways. Right. I, I bought out his shares and, and for what they had cost him to get there. And, uh, and I reestablished that business. But from there, we relocated in a more central location. And I have I had a series of moments where we've built businesses up. When I say moments, there are more periods of time where built sections of the business up, built sections of the people up. And what I what I realized over all of those, like there's there's a people component that's probably more about culture and alignment and purpose and values and vision. And then there's the systems that are allowing those people to perform in alignment with the culture, purpose, vision. Yeah. And and I suppose both of those things were kind of like watered down at this stage. Whereas I looked now compared to then, although I might have had great business plans and a great way of scaling in mind and we we're doing probably more than most were at growing, I look at now as how clear that I am on how to start a business and, and, and accelerate and scale a business and how to pick the right tribe, how to have the tribe aligned to the vision of the founder, and then how to make sure that the systems are there for success and the managers can manage, and then the marketing is done in line with the rest. So it's sort of like each one I get involved in now, it's a much more rapid curve. Yes, I understand. So how many people do you have working for you? So in um, PRD, Newcastle, Lake Macquarie Group, which is sort of doing a little bit of work in Central Coast now, but um, generally PRD in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie. There's property management, there's, there's off-the-plan projects, and there is uh, residential sales, of course, and a bit of commercial. And onshore and offshore, the headcount's 72 at the moment. And then there's other businesses that are sort of involved in. Uh, I've got a business engine that runs other real estate businesses, so we can do that with PRD, which is our main brand, or we can white-label that for people that... They've got an independent office and they don't want to sign with a franchise network. Uh, they like the idea of benefiting from that bigger sort of ecosystem we've created and they, they don't have the PRD branding or have every access to every database that we've got. But they've got most of that, like all but those two things really uh, and some trainings they can tap into as well. And we run a couple of businesses that way. So they're not my people specifically, but we run the back of their businesses. Right, I see. So how, how do you lead? 70 people so I, I've got a leadership tribe and it's um, we're big on having an org chart that that makes sense for what our objectives are so um, I've got a person that I've known for about 15 of the 16 years that we've been in operation Shirley Dalton she was the um, the COO that took Kit McCraw education centers to the stock exchange and I think that they ended up in about 40 or 50 countries and Shirley was right into business systems and documentation, but also has a very strong leadership backbone and end up becoming a leadership and, and self-development sort of coach. Right. And so Shirley and I have uh, documented the business that was already well documented, but we've gone back in and refined it, refined right. it, refined it. Right. And, and, and so we've got like division leaders basically across all the different tribes and they've all got adequate elbow room to move. Um, that we've got faith in each other. There's a trusting team. We use a lot of the principles that Simon Sinek talks about in the Infinite Game, having trusting teams. Yep, yep. And uh, and we also, you know, subscribe to a lot of the principles that come from, you know, Vern Harnish is scaling up and uh, to do with, you know, hats on the head and and who is actually going to be responsible for different things as the organisation organisation scales, as well as Gallup, which is to do with employee engagement and making sure that people know the bus they're on. Okay, so you have. In your tribe, you call it the, your leadership tribe. You have mm -hmm. what is it, two or three, three people? Like uh, it's more than that. So we've got Shirley Dalton. We've got Kate, who does you know financial controller, and she runs a team of accounts. We've got Russell Dawson, that he is uh, essentially like what a traditional business would call a sales manager, but he's more leadership and performance. Like he's a connection to the sales team and performance. We've got head of client care, which is our onshore and offshore team that looks after the agents and their clients. We also have head of property management um, right, right, right. and head of projects. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so you have your managers. Yeah, yeah. So, and then your sales manager, he is in charge of running the entire sales team. 
Yeah, so the running is still fairly, it, it, it's it's horizontal in a sense in that, like, I'm the founder of the business with the vision and my job is, like, to be going out and seeing what's coming and then I'll be coming back and installing it into the business and test and measure through my own personal team and through the key members of the, of the team. He's got a background in the armed forces, so he's been special ops in the army and a clearance diver in the Navy, so he's very good at the the chain of command thing and, and also making sure that people are given the full opportunity to grow and, you know, to be having those conversations when they need to be had about people getting back on track so we're big on that measurement side. So Russ Dawson is mostly uh, responsible for helping people keep on track to the goals that we've set collaboratively with them and those goals aren't all financially performance-driven goals. It's just that that's an easy metric to look at. So... You look at the um, you know key performance indicators or the or the activities they're doing as behavioural uh, indicators as well, and he's kind of helped managing those. And when they get off track and they go from green to amber to towards red, he's there to sort of help them back onto their feet. Okay, does he hire and fire or no? Uh, he's capable of it. Like right. he's allowed to. Definitely hiring. And if someone was going to be moved on from the organisation or outplaced or fired, however you want to say it, absolutely he can do it. It can absolutely performance manage as well with a lot of consultation. We use a red team check um, principles that, you know, come from, again, the RAF use it a lot where you, you've got a mission you're about to embark on, you get a red team check from someone else to make sure it makes sense. Yeah. He's definitely the first point of contact for associate agents that come through right. and, um, you know, agents that are happy to talk to him as opposed to wanting to talk to the founder of the business. And if people are coming towards the, the, the phase where it's not working out for them, he can definitely have that conversation. Okay. And wh- what about the culture, though? So who sets it? Because if he's the one, like, very close to them, do, does the sales team, like, hang around you? I mean, do you... Yeah, so this, this, this has been one of the most challenging things to get to where we are now. I hired a lot of the people that were performing for us early on. Yes. And, and, and that continues right into the modern era. And to no longer be their person that they directly report to, whilst then still feeling the love and the touch of the business, yep. has been a lot of work. And I can do it three times quicker now in a new organisation, ten times quicker. But when you have been involved in an organisation that's carrying around that legacy, um, there's got to be a lot of alignment involved. There's got to be a lot of philosophy and a lot of joining in. So I subscribe to the theory that people join the business for the founder, um, for their vision and the tone they've set, but they stay for their managers. So if I don't have the right managers in place, and, and we use the word manager because, you know, they are managing – they're managing expectations, they're managing people, they're managing KPIs, they're managing the culture. If that person is aligned and there's complete trust between the leader and their leadership tribe, then they're getting the same anyway. They're just getting more contact. So, um, yeah, Russell and Nicole and Olivia and Kate and Ryan, like they're, they're, all, they're all our people that are, that are in there with the team. I'm in the office a lot less based on need to deliver, deliver on things where I, I've got to be strategic. And I've, and I've got to have the headspace to be strategic. I'm changing channels a lot through the day, but if I go in the office and I have those two seconds conversations here and there, I end up losing two hours and, and I'm not delivering on something that the business needs of me. Right. You said earlier that you were pushing down Central Coast, so are you more like BDM for the moment? So I'm not personally BDM, but I, it's just a logical progression for us to be doing work or collaborating in the coast. Because it's, it's an area that links Sydney and Newcastle. It's different culturally, and, I, and I've known that for quite some time. I've been given some opportunities down in Central Coast in the project marketing space, and we were pretty clear on how we would play ball if we were going to take on those projects. And based on the preferences of those developers, we didn't. And, uh, and watching those developments from a distance, we're kind of glad we didn't yeah. because we've, we've seen a lot of them end up in the graveyard. Um, for me, our business is built for scale, so... It's likely that we'll be up and down the mid-north coast to the north, uh, back down through the central coast, and at some point in Sydney as well. But it's got to do with the alignment. I think there's there's room for... I'm not necessarily assuming that there needs to be lots of more real estate agents in the marketplace. We've got a lot of real estate agents on the vendor side. Yeah. But are there sort of orphan businesses at the moment that are kind of lost a little bit? You know, they've been in a franchise network for a while and they haven't renewed and they're sort of sitting around waiting to see what comes next. Yeah. Um, there's independent businesses that kind of can see that unless they have a really good foot-to-the-floor moment um, and, and sort of replicate, then they're going to find it hard to get the benefits of scale and keep agents sort of doing good fees. You know, there might be some people that want us to run the back of their house for them, like we talked about. And, and I respect the other competitors that are, are around, and I do see that 
the businesses that are going to do well in the Australian real estate market over the next decade or so are likely to be groups of offices or micro offices on the corner that have a very niche market like that freelancer type we talked about. But they've just got to be okay that they've got to keep it small. They've got to, If they want their margins to stay anywhere, they might not have the same retention if they've got like other people they're developing through uh, because scale is required to do a lot of the things that are benefiting consumers. And if we put consumers first, they're not always right, but it's a good place to start with the business model. But it, even if you were a freelancer, and, and mm-hmm. I can see if, if you were a good trainer or a good leader, you're going to be grooming a few leaders up and coming. And mm-hmm. at some stage, you're going to have ambitious leaders, right? So yes. from freelancers, you're going to become an entrepreneur, will you? Yeah, well, people have the choice. Like It's not like you're going to be one or the other and you're born that way. But I, I think when I got into real estate, it was a brave new world. It was just, it was all new out there. And I just, every direction I looked, it was room for improvement. And it's one of those things where I got a little bit caught with wanting to improve everything as I go. And it almost got in the way of me actually producing for the business. So I went really, really, really hard in that first five years to be producing and making the cash flow sustainable enough to bring other people in and to try training systems with them. And really carry those early sales team members and, and grow the brand into someone that was at least a competitor in the market. Right. And I think I, I respect that, that other freelancers would do the same thing. It's just that some people are better off just being really high producers as an agent with a team under them, having a, a business that has a, an entrepreneurial mindset that has scaled the business to adapt to those freelancers so they don't need to leave. They've got equity structures in place or whatever their ascension plan might be. And they can continue doing what they love. And when they're making extra money, they can go and have a dabble in development. They can have a dabble in, you know, cryptocurrency or renovating properties or something else that suits them. But they don't have to get into the guts of understanding the whole world's ecosystem and trying to create something like an entrepreneur would. Because if you take a freelancer and you put them in an entrepreneur's world, like the energetic drain would be high. I, I can do the freelancer work for the rest of my life, but I'll be cranky. <laughs> I realized that in about 2011, I was sitting in a house that was like over $2 million. I was getting a full fee. I was picked by someone that had been watching me for a while. I was in my 20s at the time, I think. Yeah, I was still in my 20s, so I'm 39 now. And I'm sitting there and I'm signing this client up and like I'm filling out these paper copies of these agency agreements because we couldn't get digital happening at the time. And I had to write their address and name like 12 times because I had all these compliance forms. I had the order forms for marketing. And I was yeah. frustrated. <laughs> I wrote these addresses. Like you think most agents would be jumping out of their skin. Like I've just signed a two and a half million dollar house. I'm going to get, it's going to sell. I'm going to get all these accolades. And I'm thinking these damn forms, I need to improve these forms. I'm like, I got to get out of these lounge rooms. So I, I still dip into lounge rooms, but I'm doing it in a, in a percentage that's tolerable and it's financially viable. Yep. And then I'm, I'm using the rest of my creative energies to, to go and expand business. Actually, you know, if you don't mind, I really would like to delve into something I'm seeing in, in you. Mm-hmm. You've got so much energy. You don't sound like a normal real estate agent. <laughs> you, you, you talk, you're a combination of Simon Sinek, you, you, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and what, what's the other dude in, in, uh, in social media? Gary V. Yes, you're a bit of that combination. <laughs> I actually know. get that all the time. Oh, is it? <laughs> I, it's hitting me now, and I'm, I'm going... What, what is it? You, you've been reading? I mean, you, he, he's, he's a dude who's been doing engineering in, yeah. in, in a mine, and yeah. now he's talking like he's, <laughs> he's, he's building a brand new planet. What, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, I've, I appreciate both of those acknowledgements because they're people that I look up to really greatly. I'm definitely Gary Vee's style of energy. Yes. I'm a Sonic. It's like, I love his <laughs> principles, but I can never speak as slow as him. <laughs> <laughs> but I do speak that slowly when I have to deliver a message to someone who um, is needing that. You know, part of the reason I've trained in NLP, I, I'm a practitioner in NLPs, you know, so I can understand the different ways of thinking and, and human psychology so that we can get on the same page together. Wow. Part of the reason I'm speaking at this speed, I speak at this speed most of the time, is like, you know, I know when I'm listening to a podcast or something like that, I want to I get as much in as I right, can. Right. You can speed them up and down anyway. Yep. Um, but yeah, like I like, I, I've always been fascinated by consumerism. You know, like what does the consumer want? What do they need? What drives them? And I think by applying that into the real estate business, it, it's been constant test and measure the whole way through. And I want to deliver something to my clients, which are my agents. I want to deliver something to my property managers. Their clients are mine too. And 
so that they can go out there and they can deliver something that consumer like might even know, not know what they need, but they benefit from it straight away. Right. And and when they benefit from that, you know, then obviously the agent gets better, the agency gets better, the overall brand gets better, and then we can invest more into getting better and better. So it's it's an evolutionary concept. Real estate's been a fantastic vehicle to drive, and it's you know there's so many tangents you can go on. Just it happened that I got in and went really hard at, at sort of mastering the craft of being an agent. And our model was too sophisticated for some, you know, like I thought of too many things and there's too much to consider. It's like, can't you just go and get a buyer for me? And, and that's fine because they'll go with the person that they feel good rapport with or yeah. that made good contact with them early. But we have scaled with, you know, we probably double the volume of our number two competitor in our region. And I say that in a way with great respect of our competitors. I don't watch the metrics that way anymore. I don't look at who's making more sales, who's doing more volume. I know we're doing more volume. But I'm more looking at the, the indicators like the net promoter scores that we put out to our property management clients or the team engagement surveys that we do to our team or how many people are getting referred in from members of the team to come and join our tribe and the escalation of agents that haven't been in real estate before that within three years are doing over a million dollars. You know, stuff like that. And that floats my boat and, you know, allows me to tangent over into other fields. Right. So if I was to work for you, what would be the indicator for you to know, oh, yes, I have now helped this person. I have made a difference to this person's life. What would you look at? Yeah, so, like, my personal mission is to have every person that comes into contact with me through uh, ideally the businesses or my personal sphere, that their life gets better in every way as a result of it. And if, if that means if you're in contact with me more because it's one of our tribes, one of our businesses you're involved in, that you don't just get better financially, like you get better in fitness, you get better in your personal relationships, you get better with looking after your kids and enjoyment activities to get you going. So I, I have a look at when I'm, when I'm recruiting now, we talk about our five values, which are vision, abundance, courage, respect, and harbour. Harbour is a made-up word, highest and best use. Oh, okay. and, and, it's, and it's a development <laughs> term, but I use it in, in real estate. And yep. it's like, uh, am I currently providing the world, which means the world I'm in at this moment, which is, you know, a work world, Am I providing that well the best use of my time, the best use of my energy? Because if I am, then everyone around me is going to be getting better results anyway. So I've got this sort of um, this sort of sphere that I've made, and I, I'm pretty sure this is my IP. <laughs> I haven't seen it anywhere else yet. Like there, there's tasks, and if you think about it in a circle, and it's, it's cut into into four, and you know there's there's things we're not prepared to do in one of the quadrants. Like, you know, someone might say, I'm not cleaning, you know, I'm not cleaning toilets or I'm not going to wrestle with a homeless bum out the front of the office or be, be spoken to in a certain way by abusive people that are in this environment. I'm not dealing with complaints all day or I'm not going to go out and wave a sign in the middle of the traffic. Right. Someone might be, but for the, for the people, they'll have that. They'll have one of those. Yeah. And if they step into that zone, you'll know straight away. You'll, you'll see it in their persona, their body language, you'll feel their energy. If they've got things they're willing to do, which is the next quadrant down, so we're still on the sort of slightly negative side here. If they've got things they're willing to do because the boss wants them to or because they think they have to to get ahead, then, like, you know, you can't spend your career there. If you spend your career here, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be cranky. You're going to resent. You're going to be stuck in below-the-line behaviour, water-cooler conversations, whinging about the boss, whinging about the man, whinging about being sick. And you will get sick. Like, your cells will fight against you. You'll get crook. Or you'll get a degenerative disease, unfortunately. Yep. So if we can get away from that line and we go into the next quadrant, which the bottom of the next quadrant is things that you're good at. So like generally, things that we're good at, we tend to like, and things we like, we tend to get good at. So it's, it's a bit of a dance that you get in there. And, and some of the best people in the best industries, like the, the, the elite people in real estate, for example, they're in this loop of things they're good at and things they like, and they keep saying to themselves, I love this, I love this, it's the best, I've just got a passion for it. If you really measure through their day and you really do spend some time investing in this with people, they don't love all of it. They love the success that comes from it. So as a real estate agent, I'm very good at being a real estate agent. You know, according to the REB Top 100, there's a really good number there. But, like, it's different than things that make your heart sing. So you can be really, really good at something and there's moments of that being good that make your heart sing. It might be some connection you have with a client. For me, it's the strategic intervention with a client or a staff member or a negotiation, that strategic intervention where I'm providing them a bespoke thing at that moment in time that's influencing them to do something and they see the benefit in it and we all feel that together and we go. And it's a creative moment. 
And I, I like that. But if I can create that and I can create systems out of that that keeps going, I can watch them grow. That's really enjoyable for me. So if you can get into stuff that makes your heart sing, it's kind of like destiny stuff. And it's that sort of flow. And people talk about flow when they get into flow. So I, I try and help people establish what it is that makes their heart sing, if, if it's even in our industry. And if it is in our industry, we've got to then go through a matrix of understanding, like, is that something that everyone's got? Like, you could say, chocolate makes my heart sing. I love eating chocolate. It's like, great. Well, we're going to make money out of that. Like, you know, and is it bad for your health? Like, so if something's really, if you're really good at something and it makes your heart sink, does the market need that? If the market needs it, will they pay for it? Will they pay a fair chunk for it? Is there someone else that can do that easily? Or is it easily replicatable? How long does it take to replicate? Are they available off the shelf? And if they are, like, are there a limited number of them? So I'm trying to establish there, is your heart sink stuff, uh, stuff that is like so unique that it's it's a scalable or exponential career. If it's not, that's fine. But you've just got to be okay that you're not going to be just massively financially abundant doing stuff that makes your heart sing. And then we've got to look at, well, if there's enough money in that, can we delegate the parts you don't love? Because if you're spending your life in things that you're good at and you like and stuff that makes your heart sing, your days are really fun. And like work life for us is the same thing. Like I, I think this whole work-life balancing has got to do with this around the time we started farming or industrial revolution or whatever it might be, where we went to work for the man and we came home and, like, we disassociated ourselves with work. Whereas, like, you know, the Western world, I think, has gone a little bit too far. We're talking about this work-life balance. Like, if we're on the plains of the Sahara and the, the Amazon somewhere and we're a tribe, like, you're working seven days. There's no work-life balance. It's just work or it's just life. Yeah. And they've probably got a different name for it. The, the tribal leader gets up and he goes and says, we're going to build a structure over here. And the, the hunters, they go out and they find meat for the tribe. They come back and they cut it up. And, and then, you know, they, they, they grow the kids up through the tribe, right? So that's work. It's work all, and they don't go off. It's Sunday. Let's have a day off. No, they don't. They work. And the other people are making the food. Like, that's work. So, so we're doing that. If we wake up at a certain time of day, and most people sleep like seven, eight hours, I'm more four, four and a half. If we have a look at... How long we're at work for like six days or five days we start when we're in our teens and we finish when we're in our 60s it's the number one activity we do in our adult waking life so if we can't be investing our time and even energy in finding out what is enjoyable what we're good at and what makes our heart sing then we need to keep looking and i think gary v's on this topic at the moment do stuff that makes you happy <laughs> so otherwise you're going to be compensating for it somewhere else anyway but but should we do stuff that makes us happy only i mean how do we move from those two quadrants into the third one and have you explained the fourth one so the heart sing stuff the yeah so yeah the so the heart thing is like that destiny stuff but it's got to be worth it's got to be worth something to the open market because right. if your heart sing is just sitting there on a rock like meditating that's fine but we're not going to get paid a lot for that no. but if you're into that that's fine because you're not going to want money <laughs> so but then should we go for that four quadrants anyway and, and, and do it because that's what makes us sing our song? Or should we go down to that quadrant three that you spoke about because it's the one that's making us a living? Yeah, so if you're, if you're in the one where, like, I'm doing it because the boss wants me to or I'm doing it because I have to to progress in my career but I don't want to be here forever, yeah. the key thing is don't want to be here forever. So, like, you know it's a transition. Yeah. But if you haven't set yourself a path... I said, like, I'm friends with a lot of people in hospitality that own venues, that are chefs, that are running bars, and, and they're absolutely brilliant at what they do. But uh, a lot of the people that I see in there, they've sort of jumped into it because they want a bit of money while they're figuring out what they want to do. And then they're five years in and they realise it's their craft and they've gone from kind of doing it for a little while to getting good at it. And they're transiting between doing it but don't want to do it for too long and getting good at it and like, oh, what do I do now? I have to start from scratch. So this is the leadership stuff. You know, so you asked me before about, well, how do I know I'm progressing? Well, we're having a lot of discussion about this at the start and then we're reviewing it really carefully. So the first month is all about getting inducted. Like, how do we do things? What's our way of doing things? What are our beliefs? How do we align with those beliefs? And what are the challenges we're coming through? And there's a lot, of, a lot of checking in and nurturing there. We get a month, three months, six months. We're now starting to see where the talents are. Yep. We're past the interview honeymoon period. We're back into the discipline, the routine, and that stuff outlasting the motivation of a new job. And we're starting to see where there's some talents. And we've got to be careful that we don't go to where there's been a couple of quick wins that have fallen in someone's lap as being 
you know, their higher purpose or stuff that they're really good at. And we go back to like what influence they're exerting over things. And if, it, if we can pick it up early enough, we can help people foster it. We can put a path in front of them about what the next year looks like, what the next three years look like, and then start developing a team with them. And, I, and I've realised, especially with high-performance agents, which we've generated so many of, I've, I've lost a couple out there to the marketplace because they thought, well, I'm never going to get a piece of this pie. Like, you know, I have to go out on my own now and become a business owner so I can get a higher split or I can get my own property management company or I can have my name on the door, whatever. Mm-hmm which I've created now a way that, you don't, you know, through the branch model that I've got, like satellite offices, you can have all the benefits from being a business owner without having to actually run that business. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, the more that we are checking in with people about how their, how their plan sounds, the better. You're such a busy guy. I mean, mate, listening to you, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously <laughs> coping, mm. right? I'm, I'm, I'm really coping with listening to you. <laughs> you might have to slow the audio down. <laughs> so... You have children? Yeah, yeah, two. Yes, uh, they're, they're young. Yeah, five and a half and three yeah. and a half. Do you have time for them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. it's it's really good time. I um, I have like key times with them in particular. So in the morning, I get up and I've got a routine that starts at like quarter past four. So I've got one alarm at four ten, one at four twelve, and I'm up on the four twelve. And then I've got a routine that sort of goes from there through to I leave the house about five, and then I go on train. And we meet uh, at a group called Fitpit that we run, FP518. It's like it's, we get there at 518. It's a really specific time, so people turn up on time. And yeah. we finish there by 6, and I sort of network and see the sun come up and have a great time with some happy people. And then I get back home in the 7s, yep. and, like, that's a nice time of day. The kids are waking up. The hair's all messy. They're all cute. They're all cuddly. And, like, you know, we're having breakfast together. It's my second breakfast by then. But we're, like, we're engaging. Really, it's really, like, what That's are you going to do for today? We have that little message before they walk down to school and, you know, about, like, you know, treating others well and, you know, making sure you're open to learning and you don't, you know, like, you don't have to come away from today getting something you want, helping someone else get what they want. And just little messages like that. And then throughout the day, depending on the day, I'll try and just get home to eat eat some rice or to, you know, to work from the home office for a little bit, to transition between appointments, to change outfits, whatever it might be. And there's little moments where I get to see them then and then again towards the evening. So they've always uh, gotten up a bit later and gone to bed a bit later, so I get to see them in that evening hours when they're around that dinner time, stuff like that. And Sunday is a pretty good family day for us and the, the night times and the weekends. So I think the time I get is very high value time and it's not just volume for the sake of volume. We're all in the house together. So I know you have to go. So I, I just want to ask you one more question. How do you know someone is living a good life? Ask them. <laughs> That's just my instant reaction. But uh, they think there's feel and there's no, right? And there's senses that are going off at us at different times. Thinking with the head, the feeling of the heart, and the knowing's like down in the gut. And we talk about, you know, I've got this hashtag, life at PRD. If anyone wants to look it up, they just hashtag that on Instagram. And right. they'll see examples of it, that the life that people are living in my tribes now versus what it was like a few years ago, there was so much uncertainty because people were joining the brand for success and getting their name built up and seeing all that, but they didn't really know what I was about. And I wasn't really, I was holding me back a lot because I thought that there was other people that wanted me a certain way and I had to be everything at once. So now that... You know, I've got a trusting leadership tribe. I've got a trusting team. I'm, I'm a lot of my, my whole self. I ask people to be, do, have rather than have, do, be. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Be, do, have. Yeah. So like, be, show up as the person that you want to be. There's a bit of thinking required on this. A bit of a bit of meditation, a bit of feeling. So you know, think about what you want to be. What you want to be. What, how you want to show up. How you want to be to other people. How you want to be to a partner. How you want to energize. What how you want to feel, and then. The do will come from that because you'll be automatically doing the things that that person would be. You've just got to start your day in that state, finish your day in that state. 10 out of 10 days. We do a lot of teaching on this. It's definitely longer for a, than a podcast. But And then as a result of doing the things that that person would be doing, if they were being the person they wanted to be, well, you'll have anything you want. And your definition of success is only defined by you. We help tease it out of people. So you can feel it energetically. You can see it in the whites of their eyes. You can see it in the way they stand, the way they walk, the way they engage with you, whether they're sort of running away from things that are awkward or whether they're coming to you open-handed right. and, and being vulnerable. And you said rather than, what is it? Have? 
Have to be. So and the example so of that was it. Yeah, so have to be is how a lot of people run their career. Like when I have this amount of money, then I'll be able to do this and then I'll be happy. You know, and it's sort of like, why? Why are we delaying that? Why don't we just be it now? And this then we'll be doing so the things of that. It's, it's, so it's a reverse paradigm. Right, okay. Mm. So I'm, I'm asking you this because you, you've come up with the four quadrants. So mm. is it's leading a good life when you're in that quadrant four, when you're singing your song? Or, or is it okay to be in, in the quadrant three? Because so many people don't actually uncover their song. I, I mean, I, I, I sweep from quadrant one to quadrant four all the time. But I, I, I really do know when I'm, in the, when I'm in the quadrant that I don't want to be in. And I think the team can be like that as well. Educating them that it's okay to acknowledge that you're doing something that you don't want to be doing because you need that contrast. You, you can feel the gap. It's the gap that you can feel. And you can get acclimatised to being in the heart singing and, and like stuff. Like the, the biggest trap is the stuff where you're stuck in what you like because you're good at it or you're good at it and that's why you like it. And they never really get to that next sort of destiny statement, the thing that really makes them feel like they're craving life. Yeah. So, so what I, I want to precise, when you say that we are in quadrant four, that mm. doesn't mean we never experience quadrant one or two. Absolutely not. Yeah, we're we actually moving between those four quadrants constantly. Yes, and, and the idea is to move away from one and two as quick as you can, but like you've it. got to create a plan for I it. I like it. I like yeah. it. So we want to encourage people to create a plan. Prime example is like someone that's getting busy as a real estate agent, they're taking a lot of buyer inquiry. They're not very good at admin. Um, they're emailing these reports off their owners. They're taking calls. They're not getting back to people. And they're starting to write more gross commission. And all through their life, they've got all these little routine tasks they're doing that are costing them money. Like, so I talked about having a driver down here today. Like, and I've got an understanding of how much that costs, and it's a fair bit to a lot of people. But I know what I've been able to do both sides. And, and so someone doesn't want to pay to have their dry cleaning picked up and dry cleaned because they can, they can wash the shirt themselves. Someone doesn't want to pay to have their admin typed in. Someone doesn't want to pay to have their copywriting done. But like all of those tasks, they're not making their heart sing. They're not even that good at it. So really, they're in tasks that they either think they have to do or the boss wants them to do, or they're in a task that they've actually said that they, do, they will not do. So somewhere in there, there's just resentment, there's, there's frustration, and you're taking away the energy that could be flowing towards something that's a much higher value to you, value to the client, and then you do get rewarded for that. So the rub is that you've got to... Invest as if you've already got the success. You can't invest when you get there because by then it's already too late. Yeah, but isn't that something that is pretty rare in real estate? People go, I want to make money. I want to make the commission, but mm -hmm. mate, don't ask me to spend a dollar. Even spending a dollar in trading, are you serious? Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend. So, yeah. so you're talking about something that most real estate agents wouldn't even contemplate, would they? Yeah, and there's a lot of education in that. There's paradigm in that. There's... There's alignment to our values of abundance and courage and respect to yourself and, and you know, the highest and best use. Like, it's, it's all there. So how do you replenish yourself? Because, mate, you've got so much energy and there's so much knowledge, I can see, that's been gathered over the years. How, how do you, where do you go and beside the Gary V, which, by the way, I've just met, not Mark Kenwell, but Mark K. So <laughs> yeah, Kenny so K. <laughs> yeah, so I... That my morning ritual is really important and I've started forecasting now. When I see stuff that's coming up, like I did the variety bash each year and uh, it's where you would take vintage cars into the bush yep, and, yeah, yeah. and we raise money for yep. kids. And it's like, you know, it's a fair bit out of the schedule and I miss training at the beach in those mornings and I'm looking ahead to that variety bash right now and I'm trying to find ways that I can actually pre-plan how I'm still going to get my fill in the morning, how I'm going to get my morning routine. Uh, so... Morning routine is incredibly important to me to get out and, you know, get sun in my eyeballs and salt water on my skin. And if I can't have that, I try and think ahead of what I'm going to be able to create. Um, there's got to be little things that uh, Dr. Fred Gross, one of my mentors, talks about. He calls it tens. So they're little things. Uh, there's tens, 25s, 50s, 75s, and 100s. And, like, a 10 is something that makes your heart sing just for a moment. Like, it might be an espresso. It might be telling your kid you love them. It might be a hug. It might be watching the sunrise. Try and have them inserted all throughout the day because, like, we all come across challenging situations. It's, it's how we negotiate those situations and how we frame it. So I've, I've done a lot of stoic reading, philosophy stuff, and I've had a lot of guidance from Dr. Fred. I still speak to him every two weeks personally, one-on-one, -on -one, and, uh, and I engage with a lot of his members. And, and I think that we, we can assemble a life that we want. We can, the idea is to try and have a 10 out of 10 day every day. And I use the word try, and, you know, you either do or do not. But if your day's set up, that you're going for a 10 out of 10 day, 
you're in with a really um, good chance of having a great life. If you get to the end of the day and it's not 10 out of 10, you've still got time when you get home to try and do some things that are 10 out of 10s. It might be a hug with your partner or your kids or reading something you like or having a Wim Hof breathing session like I do just to clear yourself out. Yeah, there's a bit of Wim Hof in you too, isn't it? I'm right into it. I'm right into it, man. Yeah, I do it every day. I've been doing it every day yeah. since August and uh, it's, it, that's been a real game changer. Yeah, I can see that too. I, I, I used to be sick all the time until I've done a lot of cold showers. Yes. All I have is cold showers all day long. In the last five years, Touchwoods haven't been sick once. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm cold yeah. shower man too. Yeah, five years. Yeah, yeah. just just crazy. I mean, the, the hardest part is is obviously early morning in, <laughs> in winter. But <laughs> well, you start looking for it. You start chasing it. It's like fitness. You know, like when you first get into fitness, you couldn't be bothered getting up to walk. And then you go from there and you actually go into, you know, wanting to lift something and Wanting to move, but yeah, you just got to keep. I think um, people like me, I've got to keep coming back to a matrix of like how good it is for me, and what the what the greater benefit is, and then am I getting multiple benefits at once, and is it making me happy, and then you know am I showing up as the person I want to be? Because if I am, then you know I'll be doing those things, and I'll be having on the other side of it. Mark, I know it's the end now. I just mm -hmm. want to thank you for your time, and thank I you. think you've been not only very inspiring. But you're a giver. To come down here and just spend an hour mm -hmm. to share th this information, and then now you're gonna have to hop on the car and go back. <laughs> so another two hours, mate. I, I can't thank you enough, and I think this thing here is going to inspire a lot of people. So thank you so much, Mark. I, I hope it does, and you know whatever I can put out in the universe, it's, it's going out there with any, without any expectation of getting back. I'm I'm receiving something by just putting it out there. I appreciate that you're running this great. It's great podcast, and um, and you know it is good content for people. And yeah, I I I, I didn't ask people to reach out to me on Instagram, particularly. That's kind of where I, if I'm going to be on somewhere social, yeah. it's going to be there right. at Mark Kentwell PRD, and just inbox me or follow along, and you can see the journey and and uh, and let's collaborate. There's yeah. so many industries that we can be aligning with together and just um, moving in on a, a path of improvement. Yeah, I'd like to do uh, some more podcasts because I think that there's so much more in you and I think we're going to yep. have to start something with Mark K. Right? <laughs> That's cool, man. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, thank you. Thank you.